Hello, listeners. This is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. I'm going to let this rock. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate you. Watching the ships roll in And then I watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time I left my Alrighty, welcome to episode 165 of the Blake Mayfield Podcast. I am your host, Blake Mayfield, and I'm here today with Michael Johnson. He is the current sheriff and coroner of Shasta County and was just re-elected for his first full term back in June. Michael, how are you? Thank you for coming. I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've been wanting to have you on since I saw you on GMA back in March, and Sherry Papini happened, you know, again, I guess, and uh, we'll definitely get into that later, but I appreciate you coming through and whatnot. I know it's been a very crazy, I bet, few months, and sort of finding the election must have felt good last week, and, and I'm happy that we were able to do this so soon after, so thank you. Yeah, and and I appreciate you reaching out to me early on and wanting me on, but uh Really needed to get through that election before I started doing stuff like this again. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. totally understand. I appreciate it. Also here with one of my best friends and someone that helps me manage this podcast and is definitely an integral part of this podcast, Mr. Jorge George Torres is here. George, how you doing, man? Uh, doing great. Long day of work, but now I'm glad to be here with you guys talking, podding, getting some uh, questions, just shooting the shit, really. And what a great intro song we got today, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out <awesome>. San Francisco. <laughs> We're at, we have a Shasta County guy on, but I wanted to do something chill, something laid back. You know, I figured that'd be nice. Just kind of ease us into this, so. It's good to hear, like, the original classic version of it, too. Yeah. I didn't realize that song, it's actually a little newer than I thought, but it came out in 1968. I was like, man, that's crazy. Over 50 huh? years? That's so crazy. And the song is still, like, to this day, people like us, you know what I mean? Just, it is crazy how music transcends like that. But I want to give a special shout-out and thank you to all the Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcast listeners. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys very much. And last but not least, I want to give a special shout-out and thank you to our sponsors, Black Rose Coffee and Tea, Rebel Fit Company, and Spring Gulch Farms. I want to give a round of applause to all you guys. Because I appreciate all you guys. And we gave Michael some uh, peanut butter bars and some oatmeal bars, courtesy of Spring Gulch Farms. So shout out to, to David and Alicia over at Spring Gulch Farms and whatnot. Yeah, thanks, David and Alicia. I'm, oh, they look great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to play the Black Rose ad, and then we will get into the election that we were just talking about right after this message. This episode of the Blake Mayfield Podcast is brought to you by Black Rose Coffee and Tea. Are you starting a brand new diet and want something organic and delicious? Want to support a locally owned and operated family business? Have you ever tried peanut butter in your coffee? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should try out Black Rose Coffee and Tea. At Black Rose Coffee and Tea, you'll find all sorts of pairings you won't find anywhere else, such as the white chocolate and peanut butter blend called the Ecstasy, organic on-tap kombucha, and the chance to make your furry best friend Instagram famous through their at dogs of Black Rose page. Visit Black Rose Coffee and Tea at 9539 Old Oregon Trail in Redding, California, open seven days a week. Bring the kids, dogs, or whoever you hold near and dear to you, and rethink the way you coffee today. And without further ado, let's get into it. So, again, thank you for coming on, Michael. I appreciate it very much. 
like we said off top, you've had a very busy year. Very busy. You won the June primary election against uh, candidate John Green, and you got elected for your first full term to be Shasta County Sheriff and Coroner. So it's been a, a very um, busy time and very hectic time for you. But you've actually been the sheriff for a year now. Uh, you were the chief of Anderson from 2012 to last year. Last year in July, they appointed you. So you've had a full year under your belt now. I just kind of want to get your thoughts, though, on the June primary and getting elected in and just kind of how that felt for the very first time. Well, I got to tell you, um, it's the first time I've ever ran for office and had to go through any type of campaigning and election process. And it is um, quite an experience, uh, to say the least. I, it's not in my wheelhouse, if you will. It's not something I've ever had to do. And politics is uh, kind of new to me. Being a chief of police, you deal with some politics, but on a very different level, and you're not elected. You're you actually test and uh, go through oral board panels and stuff to get hired as a chief, opposed to a sheriff where you're elected by the people. So um, that was quite a different process for me. And I got to tell you, the uh, gosh, the election, this particular election in Chasta County was pretty volatile, pretty, um, pretty trying, to say the least. It wasn't my favorite thing about my 26 uh, years in law enforcement, that's for sure. I can totally understand that, and I want to get kind of into more of that stuff later when we hit the GMA stuff and we talk about the Liberty Committee and whatnot, but you're totally right. I mean, you know, the the recall election of Modi, and then, you know, they're trying to get um, Rickard and Cominti out of there, which those weren't successful. Um, Cominti's going to step down at this point, but I mean, just a lot of shuffling, you know, parts, whether it's it's the sheriff's office, whether it's a supervisor board in, in the city and whatnot. What does a campaign look like? For someone wanting to be a sheriff and, and running for that position in particular, because, you know, we bring, I bring up the supervisors and whatnot. That's a little different. They're able to vote on stuff. Uh, they're able to kind of, I don't want to say do it privately because, you know, the public can come out and ask questions and give their uh, critique or lack thereof on subjects. But what does it look like campaigning wise and, and being the sheriff and the active sheriff at that while also trying to get reelected? I mean, it, does every little decision you make or, or when you prosecute or when you go through these cases, does every little detail mean something? Do you think about that in the back of your head? Like this might mess up this. I mean, how, how do you even coordinate that as someone who had the position before actually getting his first election win? Well, you know, the, um, uh, as you go through an election, I, I thought I knew what, um, campaigning and, and running for sheriff corner was all about. I thought it was about your qualification qualifications, your, uh, your experience and your integrity. But I, uh, it turns out, um, it turns out to be a lot more than just that, unfortunately, in an election. And especially when you're running for, you know, a political office that uh, is in law enforcement in this case. So, um, as you, as I've, I've gone through and as I, uh, entered that campaign, I did so with the, uh, full, um, knowledge that I was going to be under scrutiny and uh, hopefully that my family would not be drug into that too. But I knew I would be which, you know, you got to have thick skin to be in law enforcement one and you got to have thick skin to be an uh, executive like a chief of police for years too. So that part um, really wasn't shocking to me. But what was shocking to me was about uh, people would bring up stuff that weren't facts and that were blatant lies and were uh, misdirecting the truth. And um, I, I wouldn't buy into that. And every day when I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I was getting ready to go to work, I'd remind myself during the campaign that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be drug into that. I'm not going to, uh, run a dirty campaign. I'm not going to be responsive to, um, false allegations or, uh, drama and all that involved. 
my mission in getting elected was that I'm here to serve the citizens of uh, Shasta County. I'm always going to make decisions based on the greater good for this county, and I won't sacrifice my integrity to do so. So uh, maintaining that through an election is tough when you're, uh, you're, you're challenged and you're um, sometimes people wanted me to step up and rebut stuff and, and, and engage with that kind of nonsense and that drama and I just wouldn't do it the hardest part about that as time went on you ask twofold you ask the question of uh did the decisions I make on a day-to-day basis uh would that be in the back of my mind how are they going to affect my election of course I thought about you know if they were going to affect my election but I could tell you I never ever made a decision based on politics of thinking whether it would cost me votes or not. I always fell back on making the right decision for the right reason, not an emotional decision, a business decision for the agency and for the county. And if they, the people didn't want to elect me because of that, they were, they would not elect me. That's, and that's really where I I rested at the end of the day with that decision. Now, the hardest part about the whole thing and and running this uh, campaign and election and being serving as the current sheriff was all I want to do is work. I'm a cop at, at heart. I've been a cop all my life. I like the work. I like to work and do my job. And doing my job was tough because I had to balance all this campaign stuff and all these events, going to all these events, and still try to manage an agency which is huge, right? I have 240 employees in, in this agency. Um, wow. That's not even counting the... I did not know that. That's not even counting the 200 volunteers for search and rescue. It's a massive organization. You know, you have the coroner's office. You have the jail to run. You have patrol to run. You have uh, Office of Emergency Services. You have the lake patrol, boating safety, all these things that you got to manage. And you're trying to run an election, too. And it it, it really, I got to tell you, it it wore me out because I do that. During the daytime, or, or my job, if you would, during the daytime, mixed in with some campa- campaign. And at the end of the day, when, my, when I should be going home and spend time with my family, I'd be going to event after event and campaigning and going out and meeting people. And I'm not complaining, so don't get me, go, don't get me wrong with that. There, there are some good about the campaign, and I'll tell you some of the really good about the campaign was I met some phenomenal people on the rural outskirts of Shasta County who need representation and needed to know me and needed to know what I was about. And I needed to know their community and their community needs and all that. So this campaign got me out doing that and connecting with these folks so there there is a lot of positive that comes to it but it's a lot of work it's a lot of time and uh it frosted my hair if you will (laughs) well we talk about all this and the election went down tuesday june 7th you guys were not certified till five weeks later which was last tuesday the 12th during that stretch i remember i came in 2 a.m the next day for for the local news and they had me write about you versus John Green, and you had 64% of the votes, which, by the way, was one of the biggest, if not maybe the biggest gap that I remember writing about that night. I was like, Michael has a pretty good lead on this. I, I think he'll he'll get in there. But you still had to go through five weeks of getting uh, certified, which is a normal process anyway. But this time there was um, some voter fraud allegations, and there were stuff brought upon um, the Liberty Committee because, quite frankly, none of their candidates got elected. So how that five-week stretch what are you thinking? Like, like, like when you go to work and, and you come home, I, what, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? Is there something that, not that you rethink all the decisions you did or didn't make, but just kind of, are you waiting around knowing, feeling pretty good you got the win? Or is it still like, this might go left because of protests, because of, of whatever? I mean, did you ever feel that in those five weeks? 
basically? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Actually, when after the election results came in, um, after June 7th, actually after about June 9th or 10th, after everything pretty much was a done deal as far as account goes, um, for me, uh, in my own mind, it was over. And I'm not, I wasn't worried about you know, allegations of fraud and recounts and all that stuff because of just what you said. The gap was significant enough where um, recount it all you want. I mean, it, it's it, if it changes, it's going to be... They're going to be there. ...a percentage or two. It's, right. I'm not going to lose it. And um, I, I wasn't worried about uh, local voter fraud or anything like that. So that really didn't bother me. I, I was like, okay, do... People do what you got to do. I've, I've got a job to do now. I know where I stand. Um, I'm very grateful that this community uh, backed me pretty significantly and uh, that they wanted me to serve as their sheriff. So I started to go to work. It was almost overnight when that election was over that I um, started enjoying my job again and coming back to work and coming in and being able to do stuff and not having to worry about campaign and election stuff. So it was a great feeling. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, also because, I mean, like you said, there, you know, there's such a wide gap, but also I feel like that was something that even when, you know, we're sitting there reporting it at, at KRCR, you know, I'll, I'll be frank about, you know, where I work on mind. I've said on here before. When we're reporting it on, on Daybreak and whatnot, because I work on the morning show, you know, Nazi shout to her. She wants to have, she's the anchor. She wants to have stuff right. She wants to make sure we're good. She, I mean, that's why we're all coming in. And and things were pretty close. But one thing I, I thought for sure was coming was the Liberty Committee basically getting pissed because every time we'd announce a winner, it was Liberty committee candidate got less percent of the votes. Um, I'm not going to keep going on the rabbit hole of, of fraud and all that stuff with you because I know that stuff doesn't really pertain to you because your race was, was a pretty far stretch, but between the budget and promoting, and then also, you know, John Green, he worked for um, Tom Bosenko. He was Shasta County Sheriff before Eric Mangrini, Eric Magrini, who got elected in December, 2019. And then, um, I believe he resigned, correct? Last year, last July, they appointed you after that. That's correct. So what was it like running against someone that has had the job before and that has had the credentials and worked underneath someone who basically was their their first superior uh, in John Green in this last election? I mean, was that something that, you know, you guys had both, you know, experience and whatnot? Did you ever think twice about it? Was it just, I'm Michael, I run on my stuff, I'm not worried about if this other guy did the job as well, if he did it better than me during all those past years? I mean, what, what was kind of your thought process in running against John in particular? Well, it, it didn't matter if it was John Green or you or anybody else that I was running against. Um, one thing I never, ever, ever do is underestimate my opponent, and, and that goes for anything. In sports, it goes for uh, law enforcement, it goes for me uh, toe-to-toe with a parolee and a bad guy. I never underestimate somebody that I'm up against. And I wasn't un- underestimating John Green. Um, you know, he, uh, he has as many years as I do, in fact, one more year than I do in law enforcement. So anybody that served in law enforcement that long has some uh, rocks in their pocket. You know, they, they, they have done the job, so you can't discount that. Now, here's the part where I told you that uh, it, it became a little eye-opener for me with the election is I thought that, okay, if you, if you side-by-side side and compare uh, apples to apples and experience and training and uh, things we've achieved and certifications and all that, I looked way better on paper, and, and I, I have uh, accomplished a lot more in my career as far as those certain skill sets go. So uh, to me, it, was, it would be a no-brainer. But, um, you know, when uh, what I found out about elections is that 
not everybody does their homework and not everybody even measures those things or even cares, I guess, for to some degree. A lot of it's name recognition. A lot of it's just, uh, you know, who their friends were with and, and who their friends tell them they're going to vote with. And, and, and right, yeah. a bunch of different things that I, I guess I didn't account for in the election. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is I didn't underestimate him. I, didn't, I wouldn't underestimate anybody. I want to take it back now. Let's talk about just kind of you starting out as a police officer and whatnot. You started over on the coast, uh, the north coast in Eureka in 1996. Then you moved to Ion. Then you moved to Anderson, chief, in 2012. Um, And I want to get into Anderson stuff in a little bit. But just kind of, I just kind of want to get into basically working over on the coast and why you want to be a police officer in the first place. I mean, what kind of drew you to the job and has made you do it for longer than I've been alive? I mean, 26 years now, that's a long time to be doing something. You, You must love it a lot. What do you love about it? Well, um, my story's a little bit unique, and, and I wasn't one of those guys that was uh, answered the calling to be a police officer or wanted to be a police officer all my life. And matter of fact, uh, I was going into um, a career aspirations that which had nothing to do with being a uh, city cop or, or a police officer in, in that aspect. I went, I moved to Eureka in Humboldt County because I got accepted at Humboldt State, and I was going through, I have actually a biology degree. My aspirations was to be a fish and game warden, and so I went to Humboldt State. We moved to Eureka, got engaged. Me and my wife moved to Eureka, uh, bought a little house. Uh, We're struggling, starving college students. I got a biology degree. I went to the Napa Fish and Game Academy and graduated from that academy, which is the same as a a regular police academy with additional four weeks added on for uh, biology, fish, and wildlife stuff. So I graduated that academy. I tested for the state. I I did very well. I was in the top rank of that, but the state's super slow in hiring. And like I said, we were struggling, uh, poor uh, couple in Eureka, got tired of waiting uh, for the state to come around and offer me a job. So I needed a, a, a solid job, so I applied for Eureka PD while I was waiting. And my, my thought was, I'll go to work for Eureka PD if I can get hired there. And when the state finally comes around and offers me a job, because I knew they would where I was ranked, eventually I'd leave and go do fish and game stuff. So um, it turns out I was pretty good at being a cop, I'm pretty good at being a street cop, and I liked it. I worked graveyards. I loved the job. Um, I was good at it, and then the state finally came around and did offer me a job with Fish and Game, and I turned it down and told them to take me off the list because I, I, I liked what I was doing. So I stuck with law enforcement and uh, uh, being a city cop, and I worked my way through the ranks in, in Eureka. Eureka, I was a SWAT team member. I was a canine handler. I worked for a narcotics unit. I was a mentor for uh, local kids. I was an evidence tech. I did all kinds of things. Got great experience there. They ended up sending me to the FBI Academy because they were going to promote me there. I got back from the FBI Academy, and uh, lo and behold, the Ion job came offer came up to be a chief there, so I left and went, went to there to be a chief. Where's Ione? You're telling me about this beforehand. I feel so just like dumb being like a lifelong resident. Where's this at? So Ione is, uh, they call it Gold Country. It's uh, Sierra Nevada foothills, Amador County. Um, it's, it's a little prison city. They have uh, Mule Creek State Prison is in the city limits of Ione. Small town. It's a population of about, um, including the prison, a population of about 7,000. Um, wow. Again, right at the base, Sierra Nevadas. Uh, if you if you ta- look at maybe Lodi, Stockton, and East up against the foothills, that's where Amador County is. Okay, yeah, gotcha. And then how long did you spend there before going to Anderson? Five years there, and then five years, then to Anderson. 
Okay. Right. So 2012, you become the, the chief of police in Anderson. What was that like, becoming the, 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 the head honcho in charge and, and somewhere where, I mean, like you said, you know, Eureka, it's a little bigger than Anderson. But, you know, at, at night, you're already used to, to graveyard stuff and enjoying it. What made you want to become the chief? Well, I was a chief at Ione, so uh, that was small, very gotcha. small, though. But uh, So that leap was um, uh, kind of comparable, not, not quite the same, but still a little bigger stage. Anderson, uh, we wanted to get back to the North State. That was the, really the goal. Um, Ione was great. I got a lot of experience there. I had a great mentor in the local sheriff in uh, Amador County named Martin Ryan. He kind of taught me how to be a law enforcement executive while I was in Ione. So um, in, in our quest to get back to the North State, we started looking. It was just time, and we started looking for opportunities, and Anderson was hiring. Also, uh, at the same time, the city of Paradise was hiring a chief. So I tested with both places and actually got offered and accepted the chief of police job in Paradise, but still had to come to the Anderson uh, uh, interviews two days later. So I came to Anderson interviews two days later, and we explored around. And I was like, ah, I really like this place. And I got out of that interview, got into my car. I told them all this in the interview. Didn't even get a mile down I-5, and they called me up and offered me the job in Anderson. So I ended up withdrawing from paradise and uh what a blessing i think in the long run that was since the fire and everything happened there right and accepted the job in anderson and came to anderson and i gotta tell you um it was quite uh, i i had no idea the problems that anderson had when I, I accepted that job and came to anderson it was uh they were in a very bad state you know i spent my first three months in federal court helping prosecute the officer that raped the in custody uh, from Anderson PD. So that's the bad culture they had there. And it took quite a turnaround. And I, you probably know a little bit about that whole story and the evolution of that, that PD. Yeah, for sure. And I'm a kid that, you know, I grew up in, in Anderson. My mom bought a house in 2003 and then we moved out in 2016 just to go to Cottonwood. But, you know, I lived in the area when you first got in and I do remember it was becoming, you know, it, and I'm sure you have heard it time and time again, you know, the other side of the tracks. Oh, the other side of the tracks. And it, it doesn't matter what side at a certain point. It was both sides of the tracks were, were pretty rough. George, do you have anything you want to get in on this? I'm just going to keep rolling. but uh, You can keep rolling. I have no idea of the, the situation. And uh, what years did you say? I, I came to Anderson 2012. 2012. Yeah, 2012. And then last year, uh, they made you the interim Shasta County Sheriff. Well, I want to talk about this uh, as far as Anderson goes. What would you hang your hat on as far as thing you're most proud of accomplishing for the city of Anderson while you were there for nine years? Being uh, the chief particularly there. Yeah, I um it, it's not really one particular thing that the the Anderson story is a story of not just the PD but the city administration and the community all coming together and turning that whole city around from Anderson River Park, which, you know, is the like the crown jewel park yeah. of the North State. It's like super nice now. Yeah. It's and a lot nicer. To uh, the police department and the way we policed and uh, the way they administrated. So it took all those partnerships to build that city to what it is today. I'm very, I, I am very humbly proud that I was part of that uh, transition and helped lead that transition. I can tell you what the key was to um, the law enforcement because that was my uh, realm, right? No, that was my piece of that puzzle. The key was that Anderson, um, two things. 
They had a, a cultural problem with the police department where, you know, as I explained, you know, the, the guy that raped in custody, that's a pretty indicative. You got a huge problem with your, your agency. So we had to weed out a lot of people and change that culture in there. But the other part was the philosophy of the police department. We had to change that philosophy from we went from a reactive department to a proactive department. Now, here's a basic concept in policing that works, and it's historical, and I'm going to bring it to Shasta County, the same thing, is when you have proactive, aggressive policing, your arrests go up. And when arrests go up, your crime stats go down. It's a very, very simple uh, relationship. When you are reactive, meaning you're just sitting around waiting to get for calls for service, waiting for you to call in and say, hey, my car was broken into, and we go take the report. When you're reactive, arrests are down, and crime stats go up. It's a very simple concept. So what I taught the officers there and what we the, uh, the philosophy that was embraced there and is still being embraced there is get out there and stop the crime before it happens. Go look for people. Look for the bad guys in your community. We profile people. And we profile people not based on race or gender or anything else. We profile them on suspicious and criminal behavior. That's all. When you see it, go address it. Don't let, don't drive by it and, and just think, oh, well, I'll wait to talk to him later after he commits a crime. We go after that, and we push him out of our community. And it worked very, very clear in Anderson. And Anderson is a perfect example of how you can go from what you're talking about, both sides of the track bag, to um, a very different community. It got to the point before I left where I had a couple of really proactive, aggressive officers who were bored because they just couldn't find the stuff they used to find. They couldn't work all the drug houses they used to work because they had done such a great job in going after them and pushing them out of Anderson. You had them pound the pavement. You made them uh, almost bully, big dog, the the criminals into, into hiding or keeping it more... Um, just on the down low, I guess. On the just down more, low. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, the, the thing about that is is people are very um, apprehensive to hear that. A lot of people are in, in today's society. They're like, oh, well, yeah, the police shouldn't do this. Police shouldn't do that. The bottom line is, is the ugly truth is we're the cops, and you pay us to do a job, and that job is to protect the community and keep it safe. And if you want it safe and you want us to protect it and make a better community, you need to take the leash off the officers and let them do their job. Now, I'm not saying they cross the line in any way. I'd always tell them, you step outside of policy or you step out of the law, side of the law, I will not be there to support you. But if you stay inside a policy and you stay inside the law and the parameters of what you're, you're empowered to do, I will go to bat for you 100% every day. I don't care what the community thinks. And that's when they know they're supported and they can go out and do their job, that's the type of results you get. You get results in your community. It's not coddling people. It's holding people accountable and keeping the community safe. I want to ask you about 2020 in particular, because, you know, COVID-19 pandemic and, and stuff, uh, you know, it, it hit everyone pretty hard. And I know in Shasta County, it didn't really, I hate to say the word last, it didn't really last past month two or three, if we're being frank. But how did the city of Anderson and, and the police force deal with any and everything between, you know, I'm sure domestic violence and whatnot, maybe you went up a little bit or you saw more cases of it, people being home all the time, um, maybe unfortunately drug use, you know, people uh, having issues with that and whatnot, drug dealing. Did you guys see any uptick of anything uh, in particular around springtime 2020 or were you able to kind of just be on an even keel because you guys kind of weeded out 
all the stuff in the you know, six, seven years prior. How do you feel about that time period looking back? So, um, yeah, and, and I don't think Anderson, and as you mentioned, I don't think really Shasta County is a good um, uh, case study for that period and crime because we're just so different here in the North State on how we uh, reacted and, and dealt with COVID versus maybe like the Bay Area or a, a lot of other places in California. But um, I will speak to what we saw in Anderson. In Anderson, uh, we saw it was almost like the the calm before the storm. It was when COVID hit and things were shutting down and everybody was uh, paranoid about it. And, you know, you had people apprehensive about masks and people over uh, protective. It, there was kind of a lull in crime for a while, actually. It, it, it kind of went a lot quieter. You didn't, uh, didn't, I mean, even it's almost like, it's almost like the bad guys, um, took a break too and appreciated that it's like they got scared too yeah <laughs> society's problems but I know that's not the case but it was almost like that and then um, of course after some time went on and COVID was around and that lull ended uh, what we saw more of um, probably more of anything was uh, uh, like child abuse or child uh, type of cases because where those families were together and, and like you kind of mentioned lockdown, you would have thought domestic violence went up and it did a little bit, but not as significant as we thought. Uh, not as much as child abuse did. Unfortunately, not as much as child abuse did. That sucks. Yeah. That's, that, that, it totally sucks. Yeah. So how do you guys kind of navigate that in your last year in office? Basically? I mean, how do you go about, you know, do you get foster services involved? I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to just, you know, through the eyes of someone that lived in, in the town. I mean, how did you, how'd you deal with that? Well, here, here's, here's the great thing that just coincidentally uh, for Shasta County that ha- worked out very well. We have, and I sat on the board, I'm, I'm one of the founding board members of uh, the Child's Legacy Center, which is um, a huge deal in this county, which we didn't have. We started um, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what year we started that, 2014, somewhere around there. Um, and that uh, is, is a conglomeration of all your law enforcement agencies and several of your social service agencies. It's a nonprofit. Our CEO's name is Kimberly Johnson. She's done a great job. And that uh, really is a 360-degree uh, services for child abuse type of cases and children in, in general and families. And so we have this phenomenal resource now that has risen up and was in full swing at the time that COVID hit. So when as we're dealing with the fallout from that and on all these cases, we have this agency that is as uh, better than it's ever been in this county serving those, those victims. I want to ask you about this, kind of come back to present day. You were on Good Morning America back in March. I remember seeing you up there. And, you know, in the news station, we have all the TVs and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's Michael Johnson. I'm like, I just I was just in contact with that guy. And you're talking to George Stephanopoulos about Sherry Papini. And I'm going to be honest, and, and I, I do kind of like George. You know, I respect him. He's been in the, in the field a long time. Kind of seemed like he was ill-prepared. I, I don't know if you – you didn't seem that way. You, you did it just as professionally. I watched it today again. You did it as professionally as you could. But he he knew what he was talking about, but he didn't really know the, the particulars and the ins and outs and whatnot. Um, but sh- shout he out didn't. George. He didn't. It was very surface. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you felt that same. Oh, I, oh, I got it. Oh, okay. I, I, not when I was on, I didn't get it. But when I watched it later, I thought, huh. You Did George even know what he was yeah, yeah, talking about? Yeah. yeah, he could have been a little bit better prepared. You're on Good Morning America. A Good Morning America, uh, 2020 Inside Edition. You're on 2020. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, there, you're on a lot of stuff. There okay. was a ton of them. How yeah. does that come about? Do they like reach out and like, hey, like kind of like, uh, kind of we did, I guess. And yeah, because her um, arrest, right, and she was in court. So then it, the case starts coming back to light in the media's eye, and they start contacting the sheriff's office. Well, now I'm the sheriff, so it's coming to me directly. And so here's my philosophy with, with a lot of that, and in particular, uh, this is a, a great flag, flagship case to uh, talk about this is if I don't give them an interview or talk to them about the case, they'll, they'll control the message and make it up. So I don't want that. I want them to get the facts of what it is. Now I wasn't the sheriff during Sheriff Papini, but I certainly spoke to the community's impact and the philosophy of the community and the anxiety in the community during that time. Cause I was here, but I also turned around and put the two investigators that work for the sheriff's department that work the case in front of the camera in front of all those uh, different venues that I just talked to you about and let them speak about it because they were involved in it and and they had the information what was it like just being on GMA and 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 it 2020 is a show on ABC if people that don't know that usually airs uh Friday nights it's usually it was 4 30 in the morning by the way you know that I got up 4 30 morning and came down in front of the I did <laughs> yeah because I was thinking about that I was like they're on New York time so this guy and I remember I was watching on the phone I'm like it's dark out there I know we you know where they're building it I'm like it yeah. was definitely the morning I'm like this guy man I feel bad but what what was that like I mean was it a, was it surreal was it cool was it something that you were like oh my god I can mess this up so bad let me try and be a little reserved. I mean, how does it feel when George Stephanopoulos is sitting there asking you about Sherry Papini and you weren't even the sheriff when that all broke? Yeah, you know, a little weird because of that, because I wasn't the sheriff and I, I'm not trying to grandstand and, and take uh, credit for any of that. And, and I was very upfront with him about all that. And I got to tell you, it's it's not my thing. I, I don't, if I had a preference, I won't be in front of the media and I, I, I don't like to be on the camera and um, it's just not my thing. Now, it turns out I'm okay at it. I'm pretty good at it. I've gotten used to it, and it doesn't intimidate me. But if I had a choice, I'll say you did fine. I, mean, I, I, I yeah. wouldn't do it. But um, I knew it was important for the agency and for Shasta County, so that's why I did it. I didn't. I wasn't nervous like you. You're asking, uh, am I afraid I'm going to mess it up, or you know, going to have a booger in my nose while I'm on TV, <laughs> any anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't. I wasn't nervous about it, but um, it. it it was it was just another interview to me. I, I'm not really impressed with a lot of that. No offense, guys, uh, but the uh, it's not just taken. Not, uh, being in the media and and having my face or being on a a, a major network like that, mm, it, it's no big to me. I didn't even watch it after. For tell my 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 wife and my son were watching. They're like, hey, dad, you see yourself? I was like, no, I was there. I I, I know what I said. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think I did, I contacted you a couple days after that. And I'm like, I'm not going to ask him how that went. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm not like a personal friend or family. And I'm like, he knows how it went. He did the interview. That's such a dumb question to even kind of. So, yeah, I I just kind of figure like, that's just got to be so, I don't know. Maybe you're just so tired. You didn't feel like that's good, though, that you didn't feel nervous or anything like that. Have you ever done anything like that before? Not, not, not on that stage. Not at all. That, that in was 26 years. That was the first time that, that well, that yeah. I, 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 I've been on nothing as major as good morning America. I mean, I've, I've done interviews for, um, like New York times or LA times or stuff like that, but not, not on camera live. That was on camera live. Right. So right. I, I, um, I've never done anything like that. That's not. I just, and I remember when I saw it, I was like, "Man, Shasta County getting some recognition," and and it was for something good because you know it, it turned out to be a, a hoax, and she got arrested for it. The FBI and found you know what? new stuff on her, and that's what drove me with that is because it it angers me that 
um, you know, here is uh, there was actually a good contingency of people thinking like, oh, law enforcement's just blaming this poor gal, and you know, she she this, right. and she that. She wasted so much time, effort, and energy of law enforcement, of citizens who were came to bat for her, of people's money put up their personal money for her, all for her to feed her narcissistic behavior. I'm, I, it angered me, and I don't take it personally, but I took it, I took it as a dig because these guys went through the ringer at Shasta County Sheriff's Office over here. Right, I mean, they went through the ringer, and it's not fair. You put them through the ringer all for your self indulgence, and I wanted to see her held accountable. That's all I wanted to do. Not emotionally, total business. She should be held accountable for her actions, and that's why I went ahead and did those interviews and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's so interesting because I, I did a little bit of, of digging back on the case. And, you know, Keith was just, a, Keith Papini, the, the husband of Sherry, was just a Best Buy employee. And he came home and, and you know, he did the find my iPhone thing and her headphones are on Old Oregon Trail. And that's how it all. Poor guy. How it poor all Poor guy, started. poor family. I mean, I, I, yep. I'm not without sympathy for them and, um, and, and everybody she duped and especially her, her family. But I, I am without sympathy for her. Because she knew exactly what she did, she had several of opportunities to come clean, never did, and you know, um, I, I think she should be held accountable. Karma kind of catches up. I mean, this all broke November second, two thousand sixteen, and then March third of this year, uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice come and find out that it was a total hoax. They come to arrest her. Uh, I remember that uh, you were on GMA on March seventh, I believe. March 9th or tenth was when Keith filed for divorce. Um, and then I remember the video where she's running out of the Sacramento courthouse and the media and everyone's out there. I think it was March eleventh, if I'm not mistaken. It, it was just it was a one week blip of just like, oh my god. Sheriff's on GMA, how this even happened. Sherry Papini's husband's, you know, just all, it just one after another, you know, it's all crazy. I want to take a break real quick and I want to get into more of just kind of this election stuff at the end, just kind of doing the job and whatnot. Um, but I'm going to play some ads real quick. We'll play some ads from Spring Gulch Farms and we'll play an ad from Rebel Fit Company and we will be right back. This episode of the Blake Mayfield podcast is brought to you by Rebel Fit Company. At Rebel Fit, you'll find state-of-the-art gym equipment, a dry sauna, and the one and only posing room nicknamed the Ego Room. Rebel Fit also offers classes for those interested in kickboxing, has a PS5 to use once you're done with your workout and just want to chill, and a podcast room where you can record your journey, whether it be weight loss or life. Visit Rebel Fit Company at 161 Locust Street off of Athens Avenue in Reading. No contracts, no hidden fees, and a chance to transform your health. Come in and sign up today. This episode of the Blake Mayfield Podcast is brought to you by Spring Gulch Farms. If you're sensitive to certain food but still have that sweet tooth, Spring Gulch Farms has you covered with their dairy-free, soy-free, and gluten-free treats. Whether it's the delicious peanut butter bars with oats, brownies made with lots of TLC and no gluten or dairy, or their limited-time, brand-new, gluten-free, dairy-free chocolate crackle cookies, Spring Gulch Farms has you covered. Follow Spring Gulch Farms on Instagram and Facebook to get the latest updates and stop into Black Rose Coffee and Tea in Reading, Cafe Calico in Anderson, or Country Market in Happy Valley to try one of these delicious snacks today. You won't be anything less than satisfied. All right, and we are back. So I want to get into this with you. I want to get into, and we can go as far as you want, as, 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 as little, I guess, as you want. As a person, I mean, we keep talking about Michael Johnson, the sheriff, Michael Johnson being this celebrity guy on GMA all of a sudden. We keep talking about that, but we haven't talked about Michael Johnson, the person, Michael Johnson, just the man. How did the Liberty Committee wanting the recount and the campaign and, you know, going against someone that has, you know, I, I guess a year more experience than you do, but all this stuff, how does 
I mean, do you get anxiety over it? Does it keep you up at night? I mean, do you have to act like it doesn't? Because you have to keep, you know, the fake. Because you know, you're the leader, you're the sheriff now. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep that that dog face. I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? And, and I kind of want to get into the election part in a little bit, but just kind of like, how have you been over the last? Let's say just since Sherry Papini kind of broke out again since March and everything's been going on campaign and all this stuff. How have you been, Michael? Well, so the um, I told you the campaign was uh, no fun. Um, it, there's no secret about that, and I think most people that go through it uh, will tell you the same thing. the The answer to about the Liberty Committee and uh, wanting a recount and all the things they bring up and all the the conspiracy things, uh, it really doesn't bother me. And 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 I'm being completely honest about that. I I could care less. That's do what you got to do take the mission you want to take. I don't really have time for that. I, uh, I have a job to serve the citizens of this county, and I take that job very seriously, and I like the job. I have fun in doing the job. So I got a lot of stuff on my plate and a lot of stuff to worry about. I ain't got time to worry about that. that that's somebody else's worry. Now, and that's not to say it wasn't stressful during a campaign sometimes, because it was, but, um, you know, especially the aftermath here of the campaign, I, I, I just – it doesn't bother me one bit. I move on. I got plenty of stuff to do. As far as me as a guy, I'm glad you bring that up because um, this kind of goes hand in hand in what you're asking me about being on Good Morning America and some other things. Uh, I am the sheriff of Shasta County now. Before that, I was the chief of police. But um, that is not who I am. That's what I do. Uh, who I am is Michael Johnson. And I, um, I've i got a wife of 30 years. I've got uh, two boys. Um I, I'm a dog trainer. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. I enjoy my time off. I enjoy my family. I've got a new granddaughter. Um, all those things. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, all congrats. those things in my life are really what matters and, and make me who I am. I don't think I'm anybody special because I'm the sheriff. I hold a very significant uh, role in this community now, even as chief of police. I, I, I'm a leader of an organization, and I'm entrusted to, to do a job and lead some people forward on a mission. But that doesn't make me any any more different than uh, the guy who, uh, I don't know, is works in a mini market or the guy that's uh, mowing lawns or anything else. I, we're, we're at the same level as far as that. We're, we're guys in the community, guys and gals in the community. We have a responsibility to this community. We're supposed to be good citizens, and I don't think of myself of any any better than anybody else. What's the toughest part of patrolling Shasta County? You know, there's and by the way, I, I want to bring up because I, I good old Facebook comment sections on some of the articles KRCR posts. I, I do go through and read them, and they're saying you guys are kicking ass. By the way, I mean they're saying you guys are, are doing your jobs. You know, the, the the police around here. You know, Reading Police Department. Um, you, you know, even go out to, to you know Shasta Lake City and whatnot. You know, they're saying you guys are killing it basically. But what is the toughest part of patrolling a place where? It, in the summer, it's very hostile. People are very active, very outdoorsy. Um, you know, a lot of drugs are persistent. There's a lot of uh, a lot of crime. It, you know, two out of five people here live at or below the poverty line in Shasta County. What's the toughest part of patrolling a place that, to some others, especially in the state and uh, in, in legislative parts, has a black eye to it? What's the toughest part of patrolling it? It's the toughest part of the everyday job. Well, first of all, the everyday job of a sheriff's agency versus a municipal police department are vastly different. And I, um, I really didn't 
comprehend how different until I came from a municipal police department to the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office has their fingers in a lot of things and they, they are responsible for a lot of things. And I named off some of those. You remember I was talking about the coroner's office, the jail, the, so you're talking about like in summer In summer in Shasta County, we have Shasta Lake. We have whiskey town Lake. We have the river. We have uh, a lot of the mountain lakes, intermountain lakes. So those are all, our jurisdiction and those are all our responsibilities so we have a boating safety unit that has to go out and enforce laws on those uh riverways or, or waterways i'm sorry um on top of that we're running patrol right and we're running patrol for the entire county and then you look at shasta county it's a big county so when you're talking about deputies that respond to a let's say a domestic violence call and they're up in fall river and so we have a burning contingency up there but if patrols short and we're running three guys for the whole county and then we have a major crime or a major incident kickoff in happy valley and all of our units are up there now they got an hour and a half drive just to get to the next call for service and we rely on our allied agencies to help so redding or anderson pd or chp or even fish and game somebody will go help respond and 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 uh, make sure the scene is safe until we get there so um, it's difficult to do that. And, and what makes that even more difficult is staffing. So we are the currently the lowest paid agency in the county, so which means we have a harder time recruiting and getting people to come into work for us. And our staffing suffers a little bit. So when your staffing suffers, your service to your community suffers. And that, that's, a, that's a difficult pill to swallow. How do you... How do you find time to go do the stuff you actually want to do? I mean, it seems like, you know, you say you guys take care of the waterways and the jail and all this different stuff, but do you ever fully, I guess, I'm trying to think of the term, do you ever just fully kind of get, pull back from it when you're on vacation, when you, even going home at night, do you ever fully get away from it? Or is there always something where it's like, I still might get a call. I still might get an email. I still might get an update. Well, Blake, if you ask my wife, no, I never fully pull away <laughs> from any of it. And the truth is I rarely do. And and same goes for uh, my command staff, my undersheriff, my captains especially. They, um, you know, I... I rely on my command staff a lot more with the agency this size and with um, all the the aspects of law enforcement that we have to take care of. So I've gotten um, it's a different role for me. It's I have to delegate a lot now. I have to I'm ultimately responsible. So all that stuff comes to me for decisions to make sure that I quarterback it right. But um, I do rely on those command staff guys to take care of their different divisions and make some decisions on their own because um, although they're doing that, I'm still getting the phone call because I have to be apprised of what's going on and I have to know, right? So my phone, uh, one of the first things I'm going to do when I retire is throw this thing as far as I can in a lake or river and not have I'm to sure. be chained to this thing because <laughs> I am seriously chained to this phone 24-7, and as are a lot of the men and women in my organization and, and especially in my command staff. It, that's tough. And if you ask other people in law enforcement, they'll tell you the same thing. If you ask Chief Shuler, you ask Chief Poletsky or, or their command staff, it's the same thing for them. You, I, I'll give you an example. I was backing my boat into Shasta Lake down the ramp with my wife, my, my son, his girlfriend. And we're going to go meet up some friends from I I high school. The fire kicks off. 
my phone starts blowing up. I yeah. just put it into drive and drove right back up and right back into town and dealt with the fire the whole time. And so, you know, you get called away. That's that's. But again, I, I want I want to make it clear. I'm not complaining. That's my job, and I, I took the job knowing that job, and I do that job without any reservation because it's it's. Uh, it's what I've sworn to do, and, and I enjoy doing it. I enjoy serving uh, the men and women that have elected me to do that. George, you got anything? Um, it's fine if you don't. No, Just checking. On that chain of your phone thing, I think we're all kind of chaining our phone, but at least yours has a purpose. You know, you, you get work done, you make a special, and you uh, are willing to go um, beyond and act of service and make it happen. So I appreciate you for that. Even in the free time, back in your boat into the lake, and it, it Time for work, yeah. Well, what's one thing you want to see improved in the in the community? You know, we, we, I ask you about the toughest part of patrolling it, but what's something that you see has potential and you see that we could definitely, you know, make a dent in this? You know, is it people living at or below the poverty line? Is it just more resources? Is it more stuff as simple as, like, cooling centers during the summer for people and, and, and missions and stuff like that. What's one thing you want to see improved in the community over the next, let's say, four years? So I can give you, I can give you my two primary things that I want to accomplish why I'm, I'm here as the sheriff, at least in this term, right, unless I do another term or whatever. But in the next four years, I definitely want to improve uh, customer service by the sheriff's department. So I, that includes um, being a better partner with the community, not with just the business community, but with the residents and the, the rural areas and and bringing a better um, policing service to, to Shasta County. So um, I, can, I intend to accomplish that in a couple of ways. One, I got to up the staffing. And two is I'm very big on partnering with my allied agencies and sharing resources and being a collective body of law enforcement more than a silo more not just the, the Shasta County Sheriff's Office but you know task force type of stuff where it's uh, Anderson Redding Shasta DA all working together to accomplish a goal you know to uh, we talked about boating safety so we're going to open up our boating safety unit so those agencies can join it and and contribute manpower to it so we can better serve the public so they can put a boat in maybe through the river that comes through the city so there's a quicker response in there things like that i want to do the second part of what i want to accomplish is i really want to get a um a long-term corrections and rehabilitation campus up and going at least in progress and headed towards getting built out. And I'm, and that's a jail, if you will, but a, a much bigger concept than just a jail. It's a jail that has mental health. It's a jail that has work release. It's a jail that has uh, drug addiction. It's a jail that has education component. It's, of course, a jail that has a... Um, you don't, you're not getting it and you're not contributing to the society. So we're going to lock you up. Um, so plenty of beds for that as well. So it'll be all encompassing, but it needs to be... It needs to be a facility like that. It needs to be a large campus like that that encompasses it all because that is a long-term fix for this community. If we don't do something like that in this community, I guarantee you we're going to end up like every other California city and it's going to be out of control and this North State way of life we got is going to disappear. And I'd like to see that protected and I'd like to be part of that long-term solution. You'd have them working on the camp, like having a task for like maybe like a junkie or something. Is that what you're saying? So, 
how what I envision for that is um, I told you at the uh, the front of this I talked about accountability. Everybody has to have accountability. So if I arrest you on um, let's say a shoplifting charge or something, and I find out it's because you have a heroin addict addiction, right? You're, you got an addiction, an opiate addiction. So um, as you're taken into jail, you would be booked for whatever your crimes are and uh, arraigned on those charges, and those would be held over your head. Now, if you would be offered a opportunity to um, rehabilitate or to uh, somehow get over your life circumstances, whatever they are. If it's education you need, if it's kicking an addiction, whatever it is, you're offered that. And if you participate, and I mean real participation, where you actively are um, participating in your recovery and using using the services that we offer you, maybe then we can get rid of those charges at the end. Or maybe we can uh, lessen those down where they're not going to ruin your whole life. But if you don't, and if you're just playing the game, which is going on a lot here, and you're just saying that you're doing good, but you're still using and you're still not going with the program, then those charges are going to come back. We're going to go through the full court press with that, and you're going to do your time. And we're going to do that over and over to you, make you do your time until you're going to get tired of living in Chasta County and go to one of the other 57 counties in this state that will give you everything you want and enable you. But I want to quit enabling them here in Chasta County. So we give them an opportunity. We help them. If they want help, we'll, we got plenty of resources for that. But if they don't want their help and they just want to play the game and victimize the community, then we hold them accountable and we make them do their time. That type of campus that I'm talking about, will have all those options set forth in it. And if, like I said, that's why probably half or even a little bit more than half of that campus has to be plenty of beds and plenty of room to lock people up who don't want to go along with the program. But it also has to have those segregated wings where if you're a mental health uh patient, we can segregate you and have all those types of services we need for you and keep you out of the general population. So we're not suffering these um, in custody deaths and, and these uh, lawsuits and all these problems we're running into in a jail and a facility like we have now, which is antiquated and, and not capable of handling all those aspects. I love that. That's a fresh new idea. Is that your, uh, did you come up with that, that revolutionary idea? I did. I did. But th through through time, you know, I talked about going to Ione and being the chief in uh, Amador County. It was a prison city, right? I had Mule Creek State Prison right in my backyard. It was part of my population. Learned a ton about the prison system there. I learned a ton about what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, through various, just through my career experience uh, uh, and talking to other people, reading some books, getting that experience, all that stuff, I've kind of come up with something like that. I'm, I'm not saying all that concept is my idea, but it can all come together like that, and, and it, it can really be a long-term fix for our community. Where do you want to – I remember <clears> – excuse me. I remember uh, hearing about this last month um, on the news. Where do you want to uh, put the jail, and then what do you guys want to do with the, the current Shasta County Jail if you were to, to build this new facility that you're wanting to do? So if I had it my way, this is what I'd do. I would uh, – I would want um, to add some beds to the current jail, just maybe add on on a little bit of a wing. Not anything drastic, but just so I c we can get some more beds because we need some more beds immediately because we're, we're turning out bad guys uh, right now that shouldn't be turned out to the street. So that's a short-term plan, though. That's just a, a Band-Aid fix 
while we're working on the long-term plan. So where do I want to go? I'm, lo- I'm looking for 40 to 60 acres to put this new facility on. It's got to be somewhere that's big enough because we don't want the vertical jail anymore. That type of design does not work. Elevators, stairways, ADA issues, all kinds of stuff. It's, 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 it doesn't work. So we want a, a linear model. So a, a a horizontal model where it's one story because you can lay it out where you can have less staffing and more prisoners. And we haven't trouble staffing the jail we've got now. So we need to think economically and long-term that we can house all these. We also need a big footprint like that to plan for the future because it's easy to say what we need right now and even look at 20 years, but how about 50 or 60 years down the road? You don't want to have to be in the same situation where you don't have the footprint and you run out of room and you're, right. you're not accounting for the future generations. And so that's why now where that is going to be, I, I don't have that answer right now because I've been looking at different properties that the county already owns throughout the county. And I don't, I, I wouldn't tell you that I've identified the great place for that. As you know, wherever we end up deciding, we're going to have a battle with whatever communities around there. Right. Cause nobody wants it in their backyard. That's, that's, across the board. I don't want it in my backyard either, but um, the, the fact of the matter is we need to identify and we need to work towards that goal. Because, you know, it's a thing where growing up, the, the, the joke was, you know, the, the tallest building in Reading is a jail. You know, you come from a city where the tallest building is a jail. So I love the horizontal compared to vertical idea. And also, you know, something, but I guess my, my big question here is kind of what else is coming down the pipeline? Because you see the, the new Shasta County Courthouse being built. I'm someone that I love a skyline. And I understand Reading residents don't. That's why they come here. But I love even just a little. Like, give me the couple hospitals. Give me the, the courthouse. The jail could be tall, whatever. But I, I like, you know, a little bit of business, a little bit of stuff. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity, a ton of opportunity to make nice, you know, beautiful buildings like the new courthouse that aren't so monstrous and seem like such skyscrapers. If I'm not mistaken, the new courthouse is 10 stories. Is it even that high? I don't know if it's that high, but it's, it's It's big. It's big. It's a very big building. You're going to get some of your skyline stuff with that for sure. And, uh, and so, you know, you mentioned that. And um, so if, if you talk about a new jail and let's say it, because some people want to propose a new jail, where the jail is once the courthouse goes tear down the courthouse and take that that footprint. was my next yeah yeah so um and you know it's a logical initial thought but um it's only four and a half acres that, that total block uh and do you really want it in downtown reading when they're trying to revitalize downtown reading do all the stuff that they're doing running all your your drug addicts, your mental health people, your felons and stuff right in that area. Do you, is that what you want long-term for the city? I certainly don't, but I don't know what the, 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 the majority of the population wants. It should be, um, we need to hold some sort of forum with the population, with the public, so people can weigh in on that. It's not just Redding's decision either. It is Shasta County. You've got several people in Shasta County that should be weighing in on this this decision. So um, it's, and it's not Mike Johnson's decision, right? It's I have to run it wherever we whatever we decide to do and wherever we're going to put it. But it's not my sole decision to make, and I don't think it is anybody's sole decision to make. We need those options. We need to weigh out and figure out what this community wants. 
Would you guys be willing to put it maybe like Anderson somewhere? I mean, there's plenty of, of space out there. I mean, is, is it, I guess a question I have is, does it have to be in Reading? If, if it's a Shasta County jail, does it have to be in the biggest municipal city? I don't think it does, right? Is that a thing? It doesn't have to be. No, the answer is it doesn't have to be. But um, if you, when you talk about Reading and the square mileage that Reading is, like 60, 60 and a half or something square miles, um, it's huge. There's, I mean, it extends uh, uh, pretty far. And Reading, like any other county, is the county seat, right? So wherever, whatever county you go, where you find the county seat, that's where all your services are. So the farther you put that away from all the services, the more difficult you make operating that jail and operations costs go up. So um, to put it too far out mm, is not reasonable. You got to you got to keep. Now Anderson's not too far; it's ten miles away, right? So um, it, it's definitely an option. I wouldn't say it's out of out of the uh, scope of possibilities. The other thing you got to realize that when we're, where we put a jail, there's a transportation issue because inmates got to go to court on a daily basis. So we have to transform to court and back to the jail, no matter where that is. Now. Even the court moving across the street where it's moving now, we have to transport. So we're now we're going to have to load up prisoners, drive them just across the street, really, and transport them. So now we're going to be dealing with transportation, which we didn't have to deal with before. So that's another hurdle in these designs. And you mentioned not wanting to be in the, the downtown Redding area and whatnot. I mean, is there is there any permanent you know solution to to the, the new campus you think is I feel like anywhere when I'm thinking about it, you know, 40 and 60 acres, anywhere you put this thing, it's going to be, it's going to be some, some tussles with, with the residents and whatnot. I mean, are, are you prepared for that? No, <laughs> that's uh, honest. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's going to be a fight no matter where um, we decide as a community that we want to move forward with, because I don't know that there is a good answer for that anywhere, but there are some rural areas. I mean, there, I mean, if you talk about, um, and I, I know you probably, I'll probably get beat up for this, but just look at, for example, Stillwater area. And we're, this is not an area that we're contemplating, but uh, just let's take that as an example. Okay. All, all that infrastructure has been put in, right, with the hopes that there was going to be a lot of business and stuff go in there. It still is kind of rural and sits out of the way, and you could still put something back in an area like that, uh, which is out of sight and a little bit out of mind, but you still have some residents around there. No matter where you, you go, you will still be impacting some residents. You'd be impacting Airport Road. You'd be impacting Stillwater Drive, all those things. So um, those are considerations that, uh, again, this is why we need community weigh-in, and this is why we need to be thoughtful and uh, very strategic about planning this thing out. I'm going to throw a hard one at you. I was watching a video on TikTok a couple weeks ago. There's this guy. He lives here in Reading because all of his videos are about Reading. And, and to be frank about it, Michael, he is doing nothing but shitting on the city. Okay? And there was this video, I think I sent it to you, where this guy right across from, uh, what's the Mexican spot downtown? Los Gordos. Right across, you know, Thunderbird Lodge. This guy is face down on the pavement. It's nighttime out. And, and, and the, the video says, you know, I'm not in a bad place mentally. I'm just in Redding, California. Or said something along those lines. Got millions of views, thousands of comments. People just shitting all over Redding and Chico. And, and I, was, 
I, I was really uh, not pissed off, just saddened by it. So I, I guess my tough question for you is that's a direct correlation to the opioid crisis, whether it's heroin, fentanyl, doesn't matter. I know every day, uh, you know, we, the press releases we get and whatnot, it always has to do with opiates and whatnot. It is a humongous concern here in the city for me and and a lot of other people, and I know it is for you. What do you and the office? Well, first of all, what can you guys do about it? Because I know there's the different branches and stuff that you, you know, you guys have to let people do their jobs, basically. But what can you do about it? And then what will you guys do about stuff like people laying face down in the middle of the city at nine o'clock on a Friday? Or, or and I know stuff like that happens. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it can't be perfect, but it has been a thing here for a while. And, and with the creation of fentanyl and now fentanyl coming from, you know, wherever it comes from, you know, up to five and whatnot, what do you guys plan on doing about that here? Well, first of all, was the guy that was laying face down the guy that made the post? <laughs> no, okay. no, he was okay. not. No, no, right. no, it was a different guy. I was, I was a little confused. They, they were sitting at the light of pine and Tehama. Gotcha. And he was just filming him out his window. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, what are we going to do about it? So as law enforcement, we're doing, what we can as far as enforcing those laws. But um, as I just talked to you about this campus and, and treatment and um, having places to house these criminals and do that stuff, we're missing a big piece in that justice uh, system. Um, it doesn't help that we have a um, far left liberal governor who has decriminalized a lot of those things. Before that would be a felony and we'd be able to book that guy and hold him and charge him for a felony. And now um, he gets a citation at best and doesn't appear in court and, and there's no consequences. There's no accountability for it. That's gone by the wayside. That's why we need a model. We need um, a 360 approach to, holding people accountable one way or another recover, be part of your own solution or do your time. That's accountability. It's really basic and people don't want that. I'm really getting tired of hearing people talk about, well, uh, these people just need a hand. They just need a hand up or, you know, rehabilitate them. Yeah. Rehabilitate them. They give them everything, give them a sleeping bag, give them a tent, give them food, give them this, give them that. It's, it's, it does not work when you give, something and expect nothing in return, it's always a bad business decision. There's not one Fortune 500 company on this planet that does, that does that. business that way. And this that's what this is. This is business, not emotion. They need to take the emotion out of it and attack this as a business problem, and we can solve it. You know, I, in years past, I might disagree with your stance, but it's been such a prevalent thing and such a thing where it's like, someone do something about it. You know, that's kind of the attitude where I think maybe that's kind of needed, you know, and, and, and it is a tough subject, you know, and it's not one for, for me to answer upon um, because I, I don't have the answer to be honest with you, as I'm sure, you know, it's hard for you to even, you know, come up with one, you know, for, for people and whatnot. But I, I, I like this idea that you have about the, the jail and whatnot. Are there any sort of like, do you guys have like mock images? Is it just an idea in, in your head? Do you guys talk about it at, at meetings and have stuff written down, like kind of ready to go? I mean, is there a, a, a timeline of any sort? You know, I think all the stuff we're talking about and the rest of the questions I may have for you kind of pertain back to your grandiose idea, which I love, but how realistic is this? Do you think it's very realistic? It's, it's very doable. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely kind of visionary at this point. I, I first approached the board of supervisors about this concept, probably, I don't know, about four years ago, five years ago as chief oh, wow. okay. of, of Anderson. I brought it forward to him because 
what happened was they had a proposal before them to bring a um, what I call a super shelter to Reading, and they were modeling it after San Francisco, which is the absolute worst model you could pick to uh, destroy your your community. And so I saw they that. kind of like just pigeonholed them into the tenderloin and whatnot. Yeah. And we see how that's gone. But yeah. They wanted to do that at Breslauer and put up this giant, it's almost like a stadium dome, uh, homeless, yeah. everything's free uh, shelter. And I was, it, it just, it finally got to me where I blew. So I went to this board of supervisors then and, um, and really was outspoken about why it was a bad idea. So then, since I opened my big mouth, I, I, I don't like people who just complain and aren't proposing solutions. So I came Proactive up with... Proactive about it. Yeah. So I came up with a solution. I proposed it then. So now, um, I proposed it again as I came to Shasta County, and that's uh, kind of one of the reasons why they um, took me in and appointed me initially is because they want to head that way. And... Unfortunately, the election came around, and, and that became a big issue in the election about proposals of jails and different options and different things, and I didn't want it to become political like that, but now that that's over, we can start moving again, hopefully, towards that solution. Now, again, I hope there's a short-term, quick Band-Aid solution while we put that big solution in progress, but it is definitely doable. It's going to take commitment in this community. It's going to take commitment by the county administration and it's going to take commitment by me to keep pushing it forward what's something that you want to let the community know about that you're actively doing that your department's actively doing to kind of just i don't want to say just help out but yeah that's so basic but just kind of be be a a, an olive branch to the community or, or or be a resource what's something that you you know, on a public platform, just a message you kind of want to get out there to people that even if they oppose you, did oppose you, didn't vote for you, don't see eye to eye politically, don't see eye to eye in prosecution. What do you kind of just want to say to the everyday Shasta County resident? I want to, I want to tell them that, um, give us a chance. This is, uh, the, the culture of this organization is changing. We are trying to connect with the community and serve the community the best way we can. We're in a staffing crisis, so um, it we have to find some, get some more deputies hired, not just deputies, support staff, records people across the board. We're, we're short people. And so it's hard, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, to uh, get that level of service to the community that we want when we're short-staffed, but I'm not going to use that as an excuse. We will serve the community very well, and we will start doing it differently. It just takes a little time, and they're going to start seeing not just Mike Johnson, the sheriff out there, talking to him and making those connections. I'm pushing my command staff out there. I'm pushing the deputies out there to go to these events. For instance, last weekend, the Hat Creek uh, Volunteer Fire Department had a fundraiser, and so I sent the deputies from Bernie with the uh, tent they set up there. My wife and I went on our own time up there, talked to the community, we're in the community, and we're being part of the community. That's going to happen more often now. We're going to come up with ways to partner with them and have solutions for their problems. It's not going to happen overnight. It's it's a it's a monumental task to to get to the level of service that I want, but I can tell you that there's great men and women that work for this organization that um, pour their heart and soul into doing their job for the the betterment of this community. And I am, it's my job to um, direct that energy, direct that uh, dedication and make the community better. 
you have anything? No, I love what he's saying. Um, I don't know about that uh, stadium for the um, – what was the idea? The, the super st- shelter. Yeah, on, that on sounds Lauer. like inviting. That doesn't sound like a good idea at all. I feel like that would be – Horrible idea. Uh, more um, – not beneficial. I mean, like you said, in the Bay, it's a very, especially San Francisco, very prevalent. Thing. You, you saw when we were there. Yeah, we we had to drive through it. Everyone, and I was like, I swear to God, everyone's pitching a whole I had to walk here. through it. Yeah. You walked through it. I, I was like, I am. So your two, your two, uh, your two flagship cities that um, have those super shelters are Seattle and San Francisco. Yeah. And so just those words should make you go, we don't want that here. And they were trying to bring it here. So um, I, I'm trying to bring, I'm try, hopefully getting people, and I've got a lot of support in the community as I brought this forward. It seems like people want this and, and are willing to, to put the money and effort forward to try this because it's different. It's, uh, it's collaborative with all these different uh, nonprofits and different agencies. It's law enforcement moving to the middle. It's, it's health and human services moving more to the middle and cooperating and agreeing and trying to put something together as a solution rather than just complaining about it or doing the same thing that are failing. Well, I like that you're trying something new because people do the same shit and expect different results. And you're innovating something, and if it doesn't work, you know, you'll, you'll try something new, and I, and I do appreciate that. Thank you. I have, like, so many, like, ideas and stuff I want to – okay, so I guess the next question I have for you is, like, how involved are you in, in stuff – and whenever you got to go, just, just let me know. Um, how involved are you in stuff like the new Tribal Health Center coming to, to Reading, you know, December 2025? I don't know if you saw that. Uh, Mike Mangus did the report on that. Uh, you know, all these different things coming to Reading, you know. I bring up earlier that Reading doesn't like a skyline or skyscrapers, quote-unquote, because they don't want the city feel. But how do you feel, you know, being the new sheriff in town, quite literally, um, about the new buildings and, and the new business? And how do you feel about Reading expanding and growing? Do you think that presents a challenge? You bring up staffing a lot. Does that present a challenge to your office in particular? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's a challenge for the whole city. It's funny you bring that up because uh, the skyline thing and, and about not wanting the big city feel, because there's a real struggle that goes on in Reading in particular where there's a good contingency, excuse me, excuse me a good contingency of people who want to be the big city here and there's a good contingency of people who don't want to be the big city here and i think those two ideals clash quite a bit in reading and um that's why i said public involvement getting uh community response and and participation is hugely critical for every decision like that that's made for the city how do i feel about it? i'm not really a city guy to be honest with you i'm more of a rural to myself uh uh, like living in Palisadro, uh, I don't like the heavy populated areas, but that's just me. And I, I'm one guy, and, and my opinion on that really doesn't um, ultimately matter as far as my job goes as being the sheriff. We will deal with what, whatever Reading and whatever Shasta County becomes or is headed, and it will be a challenge no matter what. Law enforcement uh, as a profession is a challenge to get people in the profession these days and to get people that can just quite frankly pass a background and come to work for us. So um, there, there, there will always be that challenge, but I could tell you this in my, my 26 plus years of law enforcement, I've seen the pendulum swing from one side to the other more than once. So right now it's more on, on the social side, right. And more on the, uh, um, 
government overstep, overreaching and the police uh, um, um, uh, being too brutal or too being uh, overreaching themselves, right, and, and people's rights, it'll swing back because people are going to get tired of just all these things that we're talking about, people not being held accountable, all the crime in your, your neighborhood, your car getting broken into, your kids not being safe. They'll get tired of it, and they'll start swinging back the other way, and they'll be ready for some action to be taken in. And when that does, that's when things get a little bit easier for us and we're able to do our job a little bit better and we have people start coming in the profession. So I want to ask you, you bring it up, i dying to find out from someone who's, who's been in this 26 years, who's a sheriff, what are your thoughts on the national media and stuff like George Floyd, stuff like, um, you know, just all the different, you know, police brutality, defund the police. I mean, a lot of these people, the majority, and I'm, I know you know this, a majority of these people don't fully grasp the concept of defunding the police. They don't understand what even goes into that, what you're even defunding, and that's just an example. Um, but what what are your thoughts, and, and do you notice maybe people being more aggressive with you guys, people kind of testing and challenging you guys more in times of uproar against the police, kind of like a couple of years ago with George Floyd? I mean, do you, do you feel that in, in the little community sense from the national media standpoint and everyone thinking about it and talking about it? Or do you think Reading just is kind of its own thing and people don't really put too much stock into that, if you will? Well, thank Blake. That's a loaded question. You asked me about five <laughs> of them there. I'm sorry. I, like I said, I had so many thoughts in my brain to, to get out to you. So let me tell you, here, here's, here's, here's ultimately, yes, um, during, during times like that, we see people challenging the police. We see people challenging the police in general um, uh, way more now than it, it ever has been, at least in my career. Um, but uh, the dynamics of what goes on when you have a George Floyd incident or, or any of those type of uh, national um, emotional events is just that. You have a rise of emotion and, and uh, a real lack of common sense that uh, prevails. And unfortunately, the media does a horrible job of sensationalizing that the wrong way, my opinion. Um, the, what, but what, here's, where, here's where the rubber meets the road for that is every community is different. And, and I mean, Redding's different than Anderson's, different than Shasta Lake City's, different right. than Fall River, right? So you have to know your community. That's first and foremost. You have to really know and understand your community. You cannot apply, and here's where, here's where things go sideways. You cannot apply a inner city, big city type of mentality or issue to Shasta County or to Redding or to Anderson or anywhere else. Your dynamics are different. Your people are different. Your political climate's different. So transferring that from one place to another is an emotional thing, not a business outlook and a community really common sense approach. So unfortunately, that happens with a lot of different issues. It's happened over time. You can go back to the 60s and even before that, all the way up to current time, and you can see those trends that they happen. And But that's why you have police, because um, in those those bad times, the police ultimately, when, the, when, when all the dust settles, the police are the ones who have to keep the community safe, uphold the law, and do what's right. I want to ask you about being, we talk about being sheriff. I want to ask you about being coroner. Do you have to get out of here? You got about eight minutes. I got eight minutes. Okay, cool. I want to ask you about that because I just, it seems like such a, a daunting task to have to identify dead bodies and causes. 
does that kind of stuff ever get to you? Does that, you know, seep into, in, in, into, into your brain at night? You know, you, you shut your eyes trying to go to, I'm not, and I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to do that for you, but I mean, I just figure, I know me personally, I'd have a tough time getting to sleep at night and whatnot after seeing certain things or, or, you know, finding out certain things about people. Does that kind of stuff bother you? I mean, it seems like you love the job, so maybe not, but I, I do, I do love the job. I mean, I guess the only time that sort of uh, a death and stuff bothers me is, uh, more so than than any other time is when kids are involved. It's tough to see uh, dead bodies when they're young kids. But um, let me tell you something about those the the coroners. They're called deputy coroner investigators that I've got over there at that work the coroner's office. They are um, those men and women work very hard too, and and they're talking about being chained to their phone. They get calls at all all times of the night. They um, they're different from me and you in the way that they see things because they are very scientific minds. They are, they are, when they go to those, uh, some horrific scenes, they see things from a scientific point of view to solve that and to, uh, bring closure to the families that need it and help, help the, those victim families or the, those people affected by that death. They don't, um, does it, and I'm not saying it doesn't get to them because it gets to everybody at some point or another, at least a little bit, but they're just, uh, they're just that, I don't know, there's some TV shows like that where you see the guys just a... a right, like NCIS or... Yeah, yeah. Science Mind, and you're like... Oh, SVU, oh, yeah. yeah. You see it different. And they do. It takes a very special person, is really my point with that, to have a career in that and to investigate those cases. And I'm personally, right, I don't do that day-to-day because I... I'm running an agency, but I, I do go to those scenes. I do see a lot of that too. And, um, it's weird when, when, when you're in law enforcement, you go to so many of them, you get a, you start to get a little numb of it sometimes. Like I said, unless of course, when we're talking about kids, kids affect most everybody. Yeah. Do you have any other, I, I have one more question unless you had something. Fire. I just want to know what's next personally for you. I mean, you know, you were on GMA talking about Sherry Papini, and then you had to go through an election, then you had to go through getting certified for that very election, and now you are here at the podcast today. It's July 21st, five more months left in the year. What comes next for you in particular in 2022? You have a, a full year under your belt now as the Shasta County Sheriff. Right. Um, what comes next? A job, personal, I mean, any any vacations on the horizon, any any sort of fun stuff, or is it now that I got elected, it's, it's go time? We're not... Thinking about that. Yeah, a little bit of that. Now that I got elected, it's go time. But um, again, I uh, I brought up that wife that I have, so she has uh, some other <laughs> different ideas. Um, she does have a vacation that uh, she's uh, digging her heels in, and we're we're gonna take uh, coming up. But primarily, um, what's next for me is I get to go back to work. I told you that election uh, is past me, and I. Like I'm enjoying my job again. It's it's fun. I go to work. There's a lot to do. There's um, great men and women there. Like I mentioned, we're we're working together. We're moving this agency forward. I like that stuff. I, it's good. It's good for me. When I go uh, off duty at the end of the day, if my phone doesn't take me away with another call, I, I'm enjoying my life. I, I like living in Shasta County. I made no bones about that. Um, I enjoy my career. I enjoy my family. I, I, I feel very blessed. I think I've got it good, and um, it's up to me now. I've been elected to make a positive change and difference for this county, and that's what I intend on doing. i got four years at least to do that. 
Well, look, Michael, I want to thank you for coming on because I remember hitting you back up in March just because I saw you on the TV. I'm like, this would be a great moment. And you were like, hey, hit me up after election time. Um, and yours didn't go to a runoff. I mean, you, you didn't were, waste any time either, did you? Right after the election, you're hitting me up. I did. I, that's how I am, man. I, I try to, I mean, George knows it. I mean, people know it. So I, I just wanted to, you know, I guess kind of dig my heels in and I'm like, I want to get this done. I'm like, there's a lot of fresh stuff. I didn't know, just for the record, I did not know I hit you up uh, last Tuesday. I didn't know they were certifying the election that night. So that must have been, I mean, just a good night for you, but it must have been kind of funny seeing me pop up. I wasn't waiting for the Well, update. that's what I said. I said to myself, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, he didn't waste any time, right? The election certified <laughs> up. Yep, 15 minutes later, he's texting me. <laughs> it was literally like 20 minutes. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know that. I was like, I checked the KRC. I'm like, Oh, he thinks I'm like totally just waiting. Yeah. I'm like, um, okay, Blake, I'll come. Yeah, I got it. I told you I'd come. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, for, I appreciate you guys having me on. That. Appreciate the conversation and uh, and you guys actually um, digging in and, and finding really about who I am and, and what I'm about and, and and my outlook for the community because you know especially in the election you hear a lot of things and people uh, don't really know or are a little apprehensive about some of the things they heard but hopefully they'll listen to your podcast and get a little bit better idea of where my uh, loyalties lie and who I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to thank you. That's basically all I got. And uh, I thought this was really cool. I thought it went really well. So just thank you for your time. I know you're super busy and always have stuff going on. So Blake and George, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. If you guys have made this far, thank you for listening. I'll be back here in a few days' time, and I will see you guys later. Have a good day.